The reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what he had spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. And she refused to be comforted, because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the light, child's life are dead. So J Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came to, and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. At some point in, when I was in college, um, I was... Uh, working with uh, youth at a, a local church, and we uh, we went to a, a retreat, and I took the kids there, and um, it, we were doing the youth kind of things. But at the same time, my, my grandmother um, was um, dying from cancer, and um, this was before cell phones. Um, and I, I remember I, I went to a payphone. I called um, that evening that we had just taken the kids up. And it got news that my grandmother had taken a turn for the worse. I'd lived with my grandmother um, for several years, um, and we, we were close. And so I, I go back in, and I'm sitting, and they're doing the youth games and the fun games and the cheerful games. And I'm just sitting on a chair, kind of stunned, uh, very sad. And they were doing a dancing thing, you know, they would grab, and I, I don't remember exactly. I, I do know, even in my best moods, I'm not the person to grab to bring into a dance. Uh, but there I was, just having heard um, this kind of news. And I remember one of the bright, cheerful um, counselors grabbed my hand and said, you're a Christian, you should celebrate, or you should be happy. And I... I remember pulling my hand back away and just leaving and, and I wish I had uh, if I knew my Bible better I would have said Ecclesiastes 3 4 says there's a time to mourn and a time to dance um, I didn't know that I didn't know at the time that's just stupid um, there are times that we celebrate but there's also times we grieve 
And uh, as I as I grew more in the church, and as I came into a tradition that had events where we come in and have Ash Wednesday, where we do such nice cheerful things as rub ashes on our forehead and remember that we are dust and to dust we shall return. And as I would go to Maundy Thursday events where we would remember the betrayal and crucifixion, um, I remember there, there was something that I loved about these things that made the faith so much more real to me. Just the idea, and, and I've been surrounded by it a lot of just, you know, the idea of that we're Christians, we should be victorious, and, and anything can be conquered with a, a positive attitude uh, just rang so hollow. And so one of the things I, I, I love as I learn more about the scriptures is how absolutely realistic they are. That there is times to mourn. There are there are times to mourn. There is evil. There is sin to repent of. And it is wonderfully um, refreshing to to hear that pain is not just an illusion that we can move past. To 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 remember that we can't just overcome things with a good attitude. To recognize that the world does have darkness that life does have um, pain and times to mourn, to, to recognize the tension between Christ has come and His kingdom is already here, yet at the same time, it's not completely here. It's not yet. We've talked about this already, not yet tension that we live in. So that at the end of the Bible, when we have the most beautiful picture of what heaven is and the glorious image of the reign of Christ, even that ends with, with the yearning Come, Lord. And even in the joy of Christmas, even in the celebration of the birth of Christ and the songs of the angels and the joy, we don't need to stop reading with verse 12 of Matthew because the full story goes on to tell of this horrible, atrocious act um, the tyrant Herod commits on his people. It's good for us in the midst of joy, even as we sing praises, to recognize that the praises we sing also have minor notes. And it's good at times to reflect on um, some of this so we can enjoy the brightness even more. Uh, you'll remember the story of the wise men. You, you remember seeing children reenacting it every year. The wise men come. They bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They come and and they're told by Herod that he they know he, the child's to be born in Bethlehem. Go search there. But when you find, come back so that I can worship him also. And we know that it's a, a trick. And so the wise men are told to go home another way. And if we keep going in the passage we read today, we see that Joseph is told in a dream, go and flee to Egypt, for Herod is seeking the life um, he's going to try to kill this baby. Herod the Great um, was not ethnically Jewish. He had converted probably for maybe ancestors or possibly for political um, power. He, he had a violent and a decadent reign. He murdered his own wife and his own sons that he thought were trying to overthrow him. It is said that he had orders that when he was when he when he would die, that several men in the cities were to die so that people would weep on the day of his death. 
That was never carried out, but that's the kind of guy he was. Herod is seeking the child's death. And so flee to Egypt. Egypt uh, was outside of Herod's jurisdiction. It would have been about 90 miles away, about a week or so of travel. Egypt would have been a place where um, other Jews had, had set up um, lives so that there, there were others there who they could um, um, join their community and be part of. And so he rose, and like another Joseph who dreamed before him, he goes to Egypt. He goes in the night. This is uh, in an area that didn't have uh, state patrol guarding things. This was a place where normally you would you would go with a caravan for safety, but he goes with his new child, his wife, and he has to have tons of questions as he's leaving. He flees. Probably this whole venture was financed by the gifts the Magi brought. So they sell the gold, or they use the gold to pay for travel, for lodging for several months, possibly a couple of years. The whole time they're living as refugees. They're surrounded by people who speak foreign languages, Gentiles who are unclean, surrounded by people with different customs, different laws that they're not familiar with. And surely they have to be saying, is this the way a conquering king is supposed to grow up in exile? Is this the one who's going to save us and redeem us? We don't know how old he was, but the thought occurs to me that some of Jesus' earliest memories might have been pyramids growing up in Egypt. We don't know much about the details of their life there, but we do know what happens when they leave. Herod is furious. And in his rage, he's going to show them he's going to take this child's life. So he does the math and figures up how old this baby must be and just to give room for any error... He gives an order that all the children, all the male children in Bethlehem and the surrounding region, two and under, are to be killed. And so we imagine a horrific scene where a soldier, just following orders, goes into a house and takes a child from his mother's arms, runs him through with a sword, leaves him on the ground. And the scene is repeated over and over again. 20, 30 times. There's weeping and loud lamentation. Weeping for her children refuse to be comforted because they are no more. Church tradition has called them the holy innocents. Early martyrs dying in the place of Christ. Tyrants are mortal too. And Herod dies. And an angel tells Joseph it's safe to return. He goes back. Um, but he goes to Nazareth. Luke tells us that's their hometown. Now, sometimes a passage in Scripture doesn't give us um, um, simple things to obey. Sometimes parts of Scripture are just something to hear, to sit with, and to listen, to reflect on, to draw us deeper in our understanding of God. Uh, because it's, it's not so much a rational comprehension of, okay, now I need to go do this. I mean, this isn't here to say, okay, here's a policy of, of don't slaughter children. But it's to give us more of the flavor and the texture of God 
and of Christ and of redemption. And as we reflect on this story, at least when I reflect on this story, it leads me to desire a greater compassion. For one, a greater compassion for the strangers among us. Here's Jesus. He begins life as a refugee, a stranger in a strange land. I wonder if uh, Joseph and Mary were made fun of by the way they dressed, by what they ate. I wonder if local carpenters complained about these people coming and taking their jobs. Um, I, 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 there's a certain fear um, for people living in, as refugees. They don't know the customs. They don't know the law. People can manipulate that. People can use... Um, their, their status and take advantage of them and it's it be a very vulnerable thing. And I, I'm led to have more compassion on the strangers among us. I'm, I'm led to have more compassion on those who weep. Those who um, are out of place. Those who have suffered loss. And from this... I also note uh, not, not just the, the need for compassion, a recognition of where Jesus was and his vulnerability and his poverty, but also the glimmer we see of a man being faithful to his calling. In all this um, horror and all the, the difficulties here, Joseph is a very quiet part. We don't know much about him. But he's steady and faithfully living up to the calling. He soon fades away from the story. But throughout the, what we hear of Joseph, we're, we know that he's listening to God and he's obeying in very simple ways. I mean, he, he wasn't doing this grand scheme of saving the earth. It was just take your child to safety, protect your family, provide for them. And he's doing that. He's listening to God. He's being obedient. He takes Mary as a wife who he was going to put away quietly. He names his son Jesus as he's told. He rises and takes him to Egypt. Rises, brings him back to Israel. He was listening to God and obeying. And that's something all of us can do. We hear God speak to us, not through dreams now, but through the Scripture. And we can obey. We can do what He calls us to do in our humble callings of being a parent being a father, being a mother, being a husband or a wife, being a member of a body, being um, whatever job we have, to do it simply and humbly and quietly with obedience. I see his faithfulness, in particular as a father, to provide for and protect his family. What temptation it must have been to say, Herod's trying to kill this baby. This baby's not my baby. I'm getting in deeper than I expected to just leave it all and walk away. But he was faithful. Even before he knew what was going on, it said he was not going to bring Mary to public ridicule, um, but was going to put her away quietly because he was a just man. How much good is done just from people being just, being righteous, Simply being obedient to God's call. 
but beyond compassion and beyond faithfulness, even in the darkness, even in this story, we have a hint of what God is doing in Jesus. The passage from Jeremiah, a voice heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. It comes from a part in Jeremiah where he's, he's writing to the Jews who are in exile. They're in Babylon. They're in a foreign nation. And the time of that exile is coming to a close. They're going to be coming back into Israel. And he says to them, um, I've heard, you've heard this voice, and, and there, uh, there's weeping and loud lamentation. And immediately it follows with, Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. And so we grieve and we mourn and we lament, but never, ever without hope. Never with complete despair. We recognize that it's not here yet. That God's kingdom is not fulfilled now. But we know with certainty of God's ultimate victory, it's already won. And it's absolute promise of redemption is for us. As the psalm says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. This is a hint that you're, you're going to come back. There's going to be redemption. And he even shows us the way it's done. He quotes Hosea 11.1, 1, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Hosea is explicitly talking about Israel. The, the beginning of that passage was, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. So what's going on? Is, is Matthew just reaching from any kind of scripture he can get to tie into the life of Jesus? Is, is he grasping for Charles? There, there's, there's something more. Uh, the the prophecy is not just the words. The prophecy is this, this story that's been played out and is being played out in Jesus. That all these things are pointing to. Um, the big fancy word is recapitulation. But, but imagine if, if you would, a, a scene um, that's played out. Do y'all remember the, um, Groundhog Day? Do, do, do you remember the movie? Um, Bill Murray is like living the same day over and over again, and he keeps doing things to try to get it to be what he wants it to be. If you, if you would imagine almost the same scene being played out over and over with different actors. In some ways, that's what the story of the Bible is. The scenery changes a bit and the actors change a bit, but they keep failing. So in the garden, there's Adam and he's tested with a tree and he's disobedient and he's kicked away from God's presence. He's sent to exile. God calls out a people, uh, Israel, he, he brings them out of exile in Egypt and he tests them in the wilderness and they fail. God, God brings up a people into the promised land. He makes kings for them and offers them all these promises and he tests them and they fail. And he sends them into exile in Babylon. And here he comes once more with a new Adam one who is himself Israel. It is the very Son of God who begins to live out this drama in himself 
replaying the events of history, but this time he does it right. This time he's obedient. This time he's going to win. Matthew wants us to see this beginning. He goes into Egypt. Egypt where Israel came out of, and the, the way they came out, maybe you've seen the movie lately, the way they come out, not quite like Ridley Scott portrays it, but but he, he brings them out. All these um, plagues are hitting Egypt. Moses is going to lead Israel out. And, and finally, Moses goes to Pharaoh. Exodus 4 tells us how he goes and says, God says, Israel is my son. Let him go or I will kill your sons. Do you hear all these echoes? Pharaoh was killing the sons of Israel, and here comes Herod to take away the sons. Joseph goes into Egypt and becomes protection, and here Joseph takes his son into Egypt. And he comes out after the death of Herod. Matthew begins to tell the rest of the story. He passes through the Jordan River, the border that goes into the promised land. Immediately after he's baptized in the Jordan and passes in, he goes into the wilderness and he's tested just as Israel was. His 40 days recapitulate the 40 years of wandering, but he did not fall to temptation. He answered and he was faithful. His whole life he was faithful and he kept the law. He kept all the promises. He did never sinned and did what he was to do. He lived obediently. And when he came to his garden and he was tested with the tree of death, he was faithful. He said, I'll go. I'll drink the cup. And Herod's son, Herod Antipas, ruled and governed over his death, the, the death of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the holy innocent who died in our place to redeem sinners and win for us the ultimate victory of finally, finally bringing us out of exile, bringing us from darkness into light. We mourn, we weep, we reflect on the darkness. But we know the whole story. And so even in the darkness, we, we cling to the promise that the light overcomes the darkness. And we cling to the promise, even in the midst of weeping, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Even so, come Lord Jesus.